Section 4 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Chapter 1, Medici and Rome by F. X. Krauss, Part 3. On December 27, 1521, a conclave assembled, which closed on January 9, 1522, by the election of the Bishop of Tortosa as Adrian VI. He was born at Utrecht in 1459, and when a professor in Louvain, was chosen by the Emperor Maximilian to be tutor to his grandson Charles. Afterwards, he was sent as ambassador to Ferdinand the Catholic, who bestowed on him the bishopric of Tortosa. Leo X made him cardinal in 1517. This conclave, attended by 39 cardinals, offered a spectacle of the most disgraceful party struggles, but mustered enough unanimity to propose to the possible candidates a capitulation, by the terms of which the towns of the Papal States were divided amongst the members of the conclave, and hardly anything of the temporal power was left to the Pope. The cardinals de Medici and Cajetan de Vio rescued the assembly from this confusion of opinions and unruly passions by proposing an absent candidate. None of the factions had thought of Adrian Dadel. The astonished populace heaped scorn and epigrams on the cardinals and their choice. Adrian, who was acting as Charles's vice-regent in Spain at the time of his election, could not take up his residence at Rome till August 29th. It then looked, as Castiglione says, like a plundered abbey. The curia was ruined and poverty-stricken. Half their number had fled before the prevailing pestilence. The simple-minded old man had brought his aged housekeeper with him from the Netherlands. He was contented with few servants and spent but a ducat a day for maintenance. He would have preferred to live in some simple villa with a garden. In the Vatican, among the remains of heathen antiquity, he seemed to himself to be rather a successor of Constantine than of St. Peter. His plan of action included the restoration of peace to Italy and Europe, a protective war against the invading Turks, the reform of the Curia and the Church, and the establishment of peace in the German Church. Not one of these tasks was he able to fulfill. He was destined only to show his good intentions. We shall deal presently with his attempts at reformation, which have for all time made him worthy of admiration and his short pontificate memorable. He was not lacking in good intentions to make Rome once more the center of intellectual life, but Reuchlin had lately died. Erasmus, to whom the Pope had written on December 1st, 1522, preferred to remain in Germany. Sadoletto went to Carpentras, and Bembo, who thought Adrian's pontificate even more unfortunate than Leo's death, stayed quietly in northern Italy. Evidently, no one had confidence in the permanency of a state of things which could not but appear abnormal to everybody. And indeed, the silent, pedantic Dutchman, with his cold nature, his ignorance of Italian, his handful of servants, Fleming's stupid as a stone, was the greatest possible contrast to everything that the refinement of Italian culture and the well-justified element of Latin grace and charm demanded of a prince. The Italians would have put up for a year or two at least with an austere and pious pope, 
if his piety had been blended with something of poetry and grace but this dutch saint was utterly incomprehensible to them and in truth this was not entirely their fault as girolano negri wrote one really could apply to him cicero's remark about cato he behaves as if he had to do with plato's republic instead of the scum of the earth that romulus collected and it must have been unbearable for the romans that the new pope should have as little comprehension for all the great art of the renaissance as for classical antiquity he wanted to throw pasquino into the tiber because the jests pasted on the statue irritated him at the sight of the laocoon he turned away with the words these are heathen idols he closed the belvedere and even a man like negri was seriously afraid that some day the pope would follow the supposed example of gregory and have all the heathen statues broken and used as building stones for st peter's in a word despite the best intentions despite clear insight adrian was not adequate to his task the moment demanded a pope who could reconcile and unite all the great and valuable elements of the italian renaissance the ripened fruit of the modern thought sprung from dante and petrarch with the conceptions and conscience of the germanic world both the german professors who now posed as leaders of christendom adrian dedel and martin luther were lacking in the historic and aesthetic culture which would have enabled them to understand the value of roman civilization erasmus saw further than either of them but the discriminating critic lacked the unselfish nobility of soul and the impulse which can only be given by a powerful religious excitement an unswerving conviction the firm faith in a personal mission confided by providence he too despite his immense erudition his deep insight left the world to its own devices when it required a mediator for a gentle and negative criticism of human folly is taken by itself of little value adrian could neither gain the mastery over luther's reformation nor succeed in reforming even the roman curia to say nothing of the whole church the luxurious cardinals went on with their pleasant life when he came to die they demanded his money and treated him as the duke of sessa expressed it like a criminal on the rack the threat of war between france and the german empire lay all the while like an incubus on his pontificate with heavy heart the most peace-loving of all the popes reminded by francis i of the days of philip the fair was at last obliged to enter into a treaty with england and germany adrian survived to see war break out in lombardy he died on the day when the french crossed the ticino september fourteenth fifteen twenty three giovio and guicciardini relate that some wag wrote on the door of his physician to the deliverer of the fatherland from the senate and the people of rome little as the people were delighted with the pontificate of this last german pope he was no better pleased with it himself he spoke of his throne as the chair of misery and said in his first epitaph that it was his greatest misfortune to have attained to power the epitaph written for his tomb in santa maria del anima by his faithful servant the datary and cardinal enkenvort was certainly the best motto for this man and his pontificate pro dolor quantum refert in quae tempora vel optime coisque virtus incidat 
a conclave of thirty-three electors assembled on the first of october fifteen twenty three some sided with the emperor some with the french but the imperial party was also divided pompeo colonna made an enemy of the future pope by opposing his candidature and cardinal alessandro fernisi in vain offered the ambassadors of both sides two hundred thousand ducats cardinal wolsey once again made all kinds of offers but there was now a feeling against all foreigners during the night of the eighteenth nineteenth of november giulio de medici was elected he was the son of giuliano who fell in the pazzi conspiracy a certain fioretta daughter of antonia is mentioned as his mother little or nothing was known in florence about her and her child lorenzo took the orphan into his house and had him brought up with his sons in fourteen ninety four giulio then sixteen years of age followed them into exile living for some time in lombardy but mostly with giovanni on his cousin's rise in power he too was quickly promoted leo nominated him archbishop of florence having specially dispensed him from the canonical hindrance of his illegitimate birth at his very first creation of cardinals on september twenty third fifteen thirteen the pope bestowed on him the title of cardinal of santa maria in dominica and made him legate of bologna witnesses having first sworn to the virtual marriage of his father giuliano with fioretta during leo's reign as we have already seen cardinal giulio had almost all the business of government in his own hands he secured the election of adrian but left rome and the pope on october thirteenth fifteen twenty two in the company of manuel the imperial envoy in order to retire to florence a difference with francesco sodorini brought him back in the following april to the eternal city he entered it with two thousand horse and already greeted as the future pope kept great state in his palace a few days later francesco sodorini accused of high treason disappeared into the castle of sant'angelo he was released during the next council with the new reign a return of happier times was expected una corte florida e un buon pontifice the restoration of literature fled before the barbarians est enim medicie familiae decus favere musis and indeed many things seemed to point to a fortunate pontificate the new pope was respected and rich and now of a staid and sober life he had ruled rome well in leo's day and as archbishop of florence had used his power successfully he was cautious economical but not avaricious though not an author himself an admirer of art and science a lover of beautiful buildings as his villa madama gave proof and free from his cousin's unfortunate liking for the company of worthless buffoons he did not hunt but he was fond of good instrumental music and liked to amuse himself at table with the conversation of learned men very soon it became clear that clement the seventh was one of those men who though excellent in a subordinate position prove unsatisfactory when placed at the head the characters of both medici popes are wonderfully conceived in raphael's portraits in leo's otherwise intellectual face there is a vulgarity that almost degenerates into coarseness and sensuality and with clement the cold soul lacking all strong feeling distrustful never unfolding itself in spite of all his talents said francesco vittori 
he brought the greatest misery on rome and on himself he lost courage at once and let go the rudder guicciardini too complains of giulio's faint-heartedness vacillation and indecision as the chief source of his misfortune this indecision kept him wavering between the counsels of the two men in whom from the beginning of his reign he placed his confidence one belonging to the french faction the other to that of the emperor one was like himself a bastard giammatteo giberti rightly valued by all his contemporaries for his piety honesty and insight he took an active part in the foundation of the order of the theatines fifteen twenty four by the pious gaetano de Thien, afterwards canonized in company with caraffa he was appointed datary by clement and afterwards bishop of verona gaspari contarini writing in fifteen thirty says that he was on more intimate terms with the pope than were any of his other counsellors and that in politics he worked in the french interest he left the court in fifteen twenty seven to retire to his bishopric which he made a model of good government in verona he founded a learned society and a greek printing press which published good editions of the fathers of the church paul the third summoned him to rome several times it was on his way back that he died in fifteen forty three the emperor's interests were represented by clement's other counsellor nicholas von schomberg of meissen in saxony on the occasion of a journey to italy in fourteen ninety seven carried away by the preaching of savonarola in pisa he had joined the same monastery later scorned by the populace as a judas he had gone over to the party of the medici was summoned to rome as a professor of theology by leo x created archbishop of capua in 1520 and often entrusted with diplomatic missions in which capacity giulio came to know and value him contarini speaks well of him but evidently only half trusted him schomberg received the cardinal's hat from paul the third in 1534 and died in 1537 clement's accession had at once brought about a political change in favor of france the pope's policy wavered long between the king and the emperor weak towards both of them undecided and on occasion faithless enough on january fifth fifteen twenty five he himself announced to the emperor the conclusion of his treaty with francis i the battle of pavia the greatest military event of the sixteenth century february twenty fourth fifteen twenty five made charles v master of italy and francis i his prisoner by april first clement had made his peace with the emperor but soon began to intrigue and tried to form a league against him with venice savoy ferrara scotland hungary portugal and other states this was mainly the work of giberti at this time the bold plan of a league of freedom which was to claim the independence of italy from foreign powers was formed by Girolamo Moroni. Pescara, the husband of Vittoria Colonna, the real victor at Pavia, was to stand at its head. The conspiracy in which Clement, on his own confession, see his letter to Charles V of June 23, 1526, had taken part, was betrayed by Pescara himself. At his instigation, Moroni named the Pope as the originator of the offers made to Pescara. The veil of secrecy still covers both Pescara's action 
guicciardini characterized it as eterna infamia and his early death which occurred on march thirtieth fifteen twenty five the emperor freely expressed his opinion of the pope's faithlessness september seventeenth fifteen twenty six on may twenty second fifteen twenty six clement concluded the holy league of cognac with francis who had returned to france at the beginning of march his captivity over this brought on open war with the emperor the attack on rome by the colonna september twentieth the plundering of the borgo the march of the imperial troops against rome under the command of bourbon the storming of the part of the city named after leo in which bourbon fell may sixth fifteen twenty seven the flight of the pope to the castle of st angelo and finally the storming of rome and the sack which followed it cruel and revolting to all christian feeling it remains to this day a memory of terror for all italians no guiscard appeared this time as in the days of gregory the seventh to save the beleaguered pope on june fifth fifteen twenty seven he was forced to capitulate yield the fortress and give himself up to the mercy of the emperor when a prisoner and deprived of all his means clement bade cellini melt down his tiara a symbol of his own position for the whole temporal power of the papacy lay at the feet of the emperor who could abolish it if he chose we know that this policy was suggested to him we know also that charles had serious thoughts of utilizing the position of the pope for an ecclesiastical reformation and forcing him to summon the general council which all sides demanded but france and england declared they would recognize no council until the pope was set free again and the spanish clergy also petitioned for the release of the head of the church once more the imperial troops returned to rome from their summer quarters and in september fifteen twenty seven the city was once more sacked vera arrived as the emperor's agent to offer clement freedom on condition of neutrality a general peace and the promotion of reform by means of a council the agreement was signed on november twenty sixth but on december eighth the pope escaped to orvieto whence on june first fifteen twenty eight he removed to viterbo the war proved disastrous for france lautrec's defeats his death by plague august fifteenth the terrible state of italy which was now but one vast battlefield strewn with corpses induced clement at last to side with the emperor on october eighth fifteen twenty eight he returned horror-stricken to half-burnt starving rome harried by the plague her population diminished by one-half her importance for the literary and artistic life of humanity had been forever marred by the awful events of the year fifteen twenty seven those of her artists and learned men who had not fled were maltreated and robbed during the sack those that were left were beggars and had to seek their bread elsewhere erasmus wrote to sadaletto october first fifteen twenty eight that not the city but the world had perished and that the present sufferings of rome were more cruel than those brought on her by the goths and the gauls from carpentras in fifteen twenty nine sadaletto wrote a mournful letter to colocci in which he speaks of past glories a letter aptly called by gregorovius the swan song the farewell to the cheerful world of humanist times clement's participation in the league against charles and the empire had favored the spread of the lutheran reformation in germany 
Unwittingly, the Pope had become Luther's best ally at the very moment when, for Catholicism, everything depended on strengthening the Emperor's opposition to the Reformation, which had the hour in its favor. Even after the sack, the Pope was not chiefly concerned for the preservation and improvement of the Church, or for the reparation of the evil done to Rome. What absorbed his attention were the dynastic interests of his own house, which had once more been expelled from Florence, and the restoration of the papal state. The emperor could have ended the temporal power with a stroke of the pen, had he not feared the immense influence of the clergy and the threatening voice of the Inquisition, which did not hesitate to cross the threshold even of the most mighty. Charles needed the pope since a lasting enmity with him would have cut the ground from under his feet both in spain and germany he needed him in order to keep his hold on italy and by his influence to divide the league and so the treaty of barcelona was brought about june twenty ninth fifteen twenty nine whereby the emperor acknowledged the power of sforza in milan gave the papal state back to the pope undertook to restore florence to the medici by force of arms and as a pledge of friendship to give his illegitimate daughter margaret to alessandro de medici the imperial coronation was moreover to take place in italy the ladies peace of cambrai august fifth fifteen twenty nine confirmed spanish rule in italy clement crowned charles emperor on february twenty fourth fifteen thirty in bologna having come thither with sixteen cardinals the emperor left for the diet at augsburg on june fifteenth the pope returned to rome on april ninth and on august twelfth florence fell after a heroic death struggle burying the honor of the pope in its fall since he had not hesitated to hand over the freedom of his native town to his family the republican constitution of the town was formally annulled on april twenty seventh fifteen thirty two and alessandro de medici was proclaimed duke of florence clement the seventh is said to have sighed during the siege oh that florence had never existed the papacy itself as well as its representative in that time had good reason to utter this cry for the fall of the republic brought about by the pope and accomplished by the emperor and his bands of foreign mercenaries joined the papacy henceforth to all movements inimical to the freedom and unity of italy it delivered over italy and the church to the idea of an ecclesiastico-political despotism native to Spain. It severed the bond which in the Middle Ages had kept Rome in touch with the national aims of the Italian people. In December 1532, Emperor and Pope met once more in Bologna in order to conclude an Italian league. At the same moment, Clement was negotiating with France, who did her utmost to draw the papacy from the embrace of Spain. Francis I proposed the marriage of his second son, Henry, with Catherine, daughter of Lorenzo de' Medici the Younger, and did his very best to help Clement prevent an assemblage of the council, as we now know from the disclosures of Antonio Soriano. The marriage of Catherine de' Medici, through whom her house attained to royal honor, was celebrated with great solemnity at Marseille in October 1533. Clement himself had come to witness the triumph of his family in the person of his great-niece, the young girl, scarcely more than a child, whom he handed over to the royal house of France, proved a terrible gift to the land. For some thirty-eight years later she contrived the massacre of St. Bartholomew. 
the jewels which filippo strozzi counted over to the french as forming part of the dowry of the little princess genoa milan naples never came into the possession of france and henry was forced in the treaty of cateau cambrisis to yield all the gains of the french policy of annexation in italy clement was back in rome by december tenth fifteen thirty three and in that following march annulled thomas cranmer's declaration that the marriage of henry the eighth with his cousin catherine of aragon was void the pope threatened the king with excommunication if he did not re-establish the marriage the king's answer was the separation of england from the obedience of rome shortly before this the articles of the league of schmalkalden had recorded the desertion of a considerable part of south germany to the reformation the council which was to have restored unity to the church had not come into being clement certainly raised hopes of it in the near future at bologna january tenth fifteen thirty three but only for the sake of appearances in reality he had every reason to prevent all discussion by a council of his personal and dynastic policy and he attained his end by excuses and means which led the emperor's confessor cardinal garcia de loyasa may fifteen thirty to write to charles v that this pope was the most mysterious of beings that he knew more ciphers than any one else on earth and that he would not hear of a council at any price even the last act of the dying pope leaves a painful impression on september twenty third fifteen thirty four he wrote a long letter to the emperor to recommend to his care not the welfare of the church or of italy but the preservation of the rule of the medici in florence and the protection of his two beloved nephews the cardinal ippolito and alessandro whom clement had appointed to be his heirs after a painful illness clement the seventh died on september twenty fifth fifteen thirty four his friend francesco vittori gives testimony that for a century no better man had occupied peter's chair than clement who was neither cruel nor proud neither venal nor avaricious nor luxurious and despite of this he continues the catastrophe came in his time while others stained with crime lived and died happily and indeed many an excellent quality seemed to promise this medici a happier reign but he had to atone for his dynastic egotism and for the sins of his predecessors a fatal confusion of politics and religion bore its bitterest fruit in his pontificate rome was ruined italy from milan to naples was turned into a field of slaughter bathed in blood and tears the unity of the church was destroyed and half europe fell away from the centre of christianity all this was a painful commentary on the theories of political catholicism and the esteem of that temporal sway over the world which some still affirm to be useful or even necessary to the cause of christ End of section 4. Recording by Colleen McMahon.